When you think of Moses, what thought pops or what picture do you get in your mind? Is it uh, possibly Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments? Uh, that's what a lot of people probably think of. Handsome, strong-hearted, confident man, Hollywood. Uh, what you think of is a Hollywood image, I guess, at least in that day. Or is it possibly the Prince of Egypt, you know, the, the, the cartoon movie? Uh, seems like uh, for a, a never-aging Young Moses always pretty much looks the same, maybe a little bit older, um, in a chariot race with Ramses or whatever, whatever's happening within that movie, you know, walled up Red Sea, whatever's taking place, uh, he's like a, a, a young tan superstar, right? Uh, that's kind of the picture I think we get, and we've, you know, we've got those, those images in our mind, and, and th- those are fine, those movies are fine, and, and they get a lot of things right, um, but... If we really want an accurate picture of the life of Moses, we need to go to the best source for that, and that is, of course, God's Word. Moses is a key figure uh, in, in the Bible, in the nation of Israel, even in our faith. And so it will do us well to understand how God brought him from a baby that should not have survived to a man that would, would bring lead his people out of, out of Egypt. And... Um, to but not into the promised land. And so we're going to look in God's Word over the next several weeks in this new series called Moses, A Journey of Faith. We're going to look at his journey of faith. We're going to look at how God brought him along and the lessons that he learned. And in doing so, my hope, my prayer in this series is that we see a man who lived in a world, in the world just like we do, um, differences but a lot of similarities, who struggled just like you and I do, who sometimes got it right, many times didn't, uh, blew it big time, as a matter of fact. But in spite of all of his shortcomings, which we all have, in spite of his sin, God was able to use him to do an incredible work for his kingdom and for his glory. And when Moses obeyed God in God's perfect timing, he discovered that God could use, even a guy like him with all of his shortcomings. And my hope is that we will all identify with Moses as we walk through this journey together and as we look at his life, and that we too will learn that when we wait on the Lord, when we trust him, when we obey him, when we follow his plan for our lives, his way, that we will experience he can do through us some incredible things for his glory and for his kingdom. Let's think about it this way. We are studying the life of Moses to experience God's spiritual principles in order to live a spiritual life in Christ. What I mean by that is to live the, the life that God has planned for you in Jesus Christ, his will, his way. One of the things that we're going to learn in this series, and this is what I love about looking at the life of Moses, is it spans his entire life. You will learn what it means that you can make an impact for God regardless of your age. I don't care if you're 8 or 80 or beyond, God has a purpose for you. And you can make an impact in your world, in our world, for Him. Regardless of where you are in terms of age, where you are in terms of maturity, where you are in terms of location, God can use you and wants to use you for His purposes. And we will either rise to the challenge... When God calls us, or we will remain stuck on the sidelines. That's our choice. We can either say yes to God and follow Him 
obey him, his will, his way, and his time, or we can just stay comfortable and not do what he calls us to do and miss out on the blessings of serving him. Today, we're going to begin with some lessons learned that we learned from the early stages of Moses' life. And the first one is this. We're going to be in, Gen- in uh, Exodus chapter 1 and 2 today. Look at several verses from there. But the first lesson we learn is that sometimes God's plan includes man's oppression. And that's a hard one for us to swallow, isn't it? Sometimes God's plan involves suffering for us. He doesn't cause suffering. That's a result of sin in the world. We live in a fallen world, but he allows it. And it's hard to make sense as to why he allows it sometimes. You know, Exodus, if we look at the book of Exodus, it's a continuation, really, of Genesis 1 through 7. God commanded, you know, Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. They did do that. After the fall, God's plan of salvation for his people, for us, ultimately, begins with Abraham, the life of Abraham. Abraham and God, God made a covenant with Abraham that extended to his descendants. Abraham, I will make you a great nation. This is the covenant that God makes, and he promises to multiply Abraham's family. Look at Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham, it was his faith that put him in a position to receive God's blessing. Um, God saw Abraham's heart. He was a man of faith. He trusted God. God chose him and chose to bless him and to make from him, from his line, a great nation. As a result of this, God proves faithful. God promises, then he proves faithful. He provided the growth. The nation of Israel grows. And so beginning with Abraham, the nation of Israel begins to grow. But when you fast forward and you look at the life of Moses, in order to really understand what's going on at the time Moses was born, you really need to go and look at Joseph, the life of Joseph. Um, Joseph was a guy who uh, started out, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. His father favored him. His brothers get jealous. They sell him into slavery, and he's sold into slavery in Egypt. Somehow, he, uh, God, he shows favor on him. Uh, Joseph uh, earns the favor of Pharaoh. He becomes uh, the most powerful person other than Pharaoh, uh, and he, God gives him advance notice of a famine that's coming so that he's able to lead the people in Egypt to prepare for this famine. And years later, uh, Israel's suffering because of this famine. His brothers come. They think he's dead. His, uh, probably they don't know what's happened to him. They come uh, to Egypt and sure enough find out that it's Joseph who is in this powerful position. They beg for mercy. He shows his brothers mercy. And beginning with this, even though this, is, this famine is going on, the nation of Israel continues to grow. And God protects them. For 71 years, things were great. Uh, Joseph's in this position of prominence. Uh, Pharaoh's showing favor on God's people. But then Joseph dies, and things begin to change. Joseph dies, and suddenly the offspring of Joseph's family, Abraham, they explode. And Pharaoh gets concerned. If these people get too big, how will I control them? Uh, What's going to happen? And so... 
Uh, he enslaves all of, Pharaoh does all of God's people in Egypt. And this begins 400 years of some really, really tough living for God's people. In Exodus chapter 1, verses 8 through 14, a king, a new king. So king dies, new king comes, he doesn't like. Uh, he, he doesn't have Joseph there uh, doing things for him, and he doesn't like God's people. A new king who had not known Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and powerful than we are. Let us deal shrewdly with them. Otherwise, they will multiply further. If war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to, uh, taskmasters to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor and brick and mortar and all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all of this work on them. So, you know, things are going great. Joseph, all of his family, they're secure, they're taken care of. The Israelites, the nation of Israel, begins to, to grow through Joseph's family. Um, and then a new Pharaoh comes into power and he says, you know what, this is not good. We've got to stop this. And we've got to oppress them. And so here's what happens. Exit, ease, abundance, and prosperity. Enter taskmasters in the whip. They enslave God's people. They force labor on them. They work them ruthlessly. And it all started with this suspicion of the Jews. Look at that word dread in verse 12. That word dread is interesting. It means to have an abhorrence for or horror or a sickening feeling. Many times in the Bible, when you see uh, God's blessing on one group, you, you see it's it, usually a lot of times followed by uh, trials. By when, whenever somebody experienced some sort of a mountaintop, immediately after Jesus, we talked about this in our connection group this morning, Jesus, after, after he's baptized and the voice from, of God from heaven, this, this huge beginning to his public ministry, affirmation from God the Father, he immediately goes into the wilderness, which culminates in him being tempted by Satan. But when we in Scripture see brutality, it's usually motivated by fear which is what this is talking about. It's usually God's blessing a group of people, and whoever's opposed to them fears that, and they begin to show uh, brutality or oppress them, just as, as what's going on. We see it in the nation of Israel time and time again. We see it uh, with the early church, right? The persecution of the early church is motivated by fear. And we see that in history. We've seen that over and over and over again throughout history. Uh, look again at verse 12. Even though the oppression's going on, forced labor, slavery, God's people continue to multiply. But the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They were afraid. You know, Charles Swindoll makes an excellent point here. He says, Mounting suspicion toward a people group is only a step away from prejudice, yet another step away from persecution but a stone's throw away from genocide. We've seen that in the history of our world, haven't we? You know, I immediately think of the persecution of the Jews uh, prior to World War II and during of the Nazis. You know, they, they, this first came 
the denunciation of Jews uh, in the press. You know, it started, I guess, innocently enough, if you want to call it that. And then it moved to, we're going to shut down their businesses and, and force them into poverty. And then, slowly but surely, indignity, humiliation, making Jews wear special badges so everybody would know who they are so that they could persecute them. And then it turns into making them outright enemies. And then boxcars, prison camps, and ultimately the oven, furnaces. I mean, you wouldn't start there. You wouldn't think that it would, everybody would be horrified. But slowly, slowly but surely, it leads to that. And that's, you know, that's what's happening here is, hey, we're afraid of them. Let's, let's oppress them. Let's work them harder so they don't have time to multiply, yet they still do. God's blessing them, and it leads to some pretty awful behavior. And we, we've seen that. Pharaoh does the unthinkable. He results, this, you know, the oppression is not working, so he revol- results to uh, killing infants. In verses 16 through 22, Pharaoh gives the following instructions to the Hebrew midwives. When you help the Hebrew women give birth, observe them as they deliver. If the child is a son, kill him. But if it's a daughter, she may live. The Hebrew midwives, got to love these ladies. They feared God and did not do as the king had told them. They let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? And let these boys live. The midwives, I love this. <laughs> maybe, they're, maybe they're fibbing a little bit, but I love it. They say, The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They're stronger. They're vigorous and give birth before we can even get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very numerous. Since the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Pharaoh then commanded all his people, you must throw every son born to the Hebrews into the Nile, but let every daughter live. So Pharaoh commands, kill all the Hebrew boys. If they're born and they're a boy, kill them. But these these ladies, you got to love them. They're as pro-life as they come. And they say, nope, I fear God more than I fear Pharaoh. I'm not killing a child. And they, the boys live. And, you know, Pharaoh could have wiped them out, right? I mean, this is, this is a risky move on their part. And Pharaoh says, okay, since you won't do that, we're going to throw them all into the river. But these ladies, you know, they show for us, you know, the Bible's very clear. We should respect and follow the governing authorities in our, in our land. Until they contradict Scripture. When they contradict Scripture, they show us, these ladies show us, at that point, that is when we no longer follow the governing authorities. We know that, that, that whoever's in leadership has been allowed there by God. We respect that, and we follow, we obey the law, we do those things. But when it gets to something like this, uh, there's a difference. And these ladies, they know that God is, is greater than Pharaoh, and so they choose to follow God. And the result, God multiplies these Hebrew families. Pharaoh then commands all the Egyptians throw the the boys, baby boys, into the Nile River. And this is the awful setting into which Moses is born. Not a great start. If you're just stopping right here looking at his chances, you're not giving him a whole lot of chance for survival, uh, much more success in his life. This is the setting. But here is where we learn that many times God's plan includes unlikely heroes. If you look through the scriptures and see men and women who did great things for God on their own, I mean, they, they were just normal individuals. I mean, 
Most of them, nothing in and of themselves made them spectacular. I mean, everybody's important and valuable to God, but, but that's what he does. He takes ordinary people and works through them to do extraordinary things. Moses' life, if you, if you look at his life, you can break it up into 40-year segments. At this time, I mean, or God, he wasn't effective until God until he was 80 years old which is amazing when you think about it. But if you look at his life in 40-year segments, you see that he spent the first 40 years in Egypt being educated uh, as a prince, all of the education, all of the advantages that come with that, uh, cutting-edge education. Then he spends the next 40 years in the wilderness, in Midian. He spends the next 40 years in the desert, rather. Uh, He's nursed by solitude. He's taught by God because he makes a mistake. He has to flee for his life. And then the last 40 years of his life, we see him leading the Hebrew people, yet he's still nursed by trials and difficulties. It's not an easy road for him, but he is very effective for God. Dwight Moody said it this way. He said, Moses spent his first 40 years thinking he was somebody. He spent his second 40 years learning he was a nobody. And then he spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. We all have to go through that cycle if we're going to be effective for God. We have to realize first that we are nothing without God. We're just sinners. And then when we're saved, we're sinners saved by grace. And when we get to that point where we humble ourselves before a mighty God, we can learn what God can do with a nobody. God has a purpose for you, but first you've got to submit to that purpose. And Moses had to learn that lesson. He teaches us what it means to count for God, regardless of your age, regardless of who you are, whether you're 8 or 80, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your background, whatever mistakes you've made, he can forgive you and use. He can even use those mistakes in his plan and his purpose for you. Winston Churchill said this at Parliament five days after Franklin Roosevelt passed away. He said, in Franklin Roosevelt, there died the greatest American friend the islands have ever known. He died in the harness, he said. And we may well say in the battle harness, what an enviable death was his. What is he talking about? Well, Roosevelt died. I mean, Hitler's dead. I mean, they've got victory there. They're on their way to victory in the Pacific. Um, You know, the free world's winning, and he dies at that time. So he's saying his death was enviable. He died accomplishing his goals. Well, if you take it and you look on the other end of the spectrum, Moses' birth was pretty unenviable, wasn't it? What a, what a, what a difficult way to come into the world, to be born. Uh, Moses is born, then he's hidden. In order to save his life, he's put in a basket and he's placed in a river, in the Nile. You know, it's interesting that King James uses the word ark for basket here. And we see in Scripture... It's not the first time God used an ark to save people, right? And it's not the only time it's mentioned in Scripture. Look at 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. Who in the past were disobedient when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while an ark was being prepared. In it a few, only eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, it says, which corresponds to this now saves you. Not the removal of filth of the flesh, but the pledge of good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's talking about salvation, and, and that's how Moses was saved. He was placed in this basket. And it's interesting, when you look at, at, at the, the beginnings of Moses and when you look at Jesus' birth, there's, there's a lot of parallels. I mean, both of them were born in humble circumstances. Uh, both of them, the king wanted to kill them. And both, God provided a way of escape that involved Egypt. 
I mean, there's some parallels here. God would use Moses to deliver the nation of Israel. But what's the ultimate plan here? What's God's ultimate purpose here? It's salvation. Go back to Abraham, that covenant he made with Abraham. Even immediately after the fall, God has a plan for salvation. And all of this is happening according to God's plan for his people to save, to provide salvation, not only for the nation of Israel, but for Gentiles as well. By the way, we all fall into that category. Salvation, that's the ultimate plan here. Born in humble circumstances. But what we learn from Moses, and certainly what we learn from Jesus, is that humble doesn't mean bad. I mean, not the greatest of circumstances, but humility doesn't always mean bad. Moses, while born in humble circumstances, is still born into a family of faith. And so he's able to learn because God orchestrates this whole thing. He's able to learn from that family. And he himself grows up in this family of faith and becomes a man of faith. You know, I don't know this, but, you know, when you look at how this unfolds, I, I think maybe, maybe Moses' mother had a plan here. I don't know. The, for, the scripture doesn't say, but, you know, the Nile was considered a god, right? And if, you, if, if the Nile produces a baby... Even the Egyptians are going to be like, okay, we gotta, we got to save this baby. I mean, maybe she knows exactly what time of day the princess goes to bathe in the Nile. And she plans this whole thing, and she says, I'm going to stick Moses in this basket so the princess will discover it. And think that the God of the Nile, their God, little G, delivers this baby. You know, history, um, if you look back, you see that, that Egyptians, um, in terms of a, a statement of trust, and worship, I guess, of this little G God would make a statement. I've afflicted no man, or it was just a statement of faith, um, and it was associated with the God of the Nile. I've afflicted no man, I've not made any man weep, and I've not withheld milk from the mouths of sucklings. It was very popular um, and part of their worship. So you, you got to think that maybe the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, had stated that. And so when this baby comes floating up, she, she's going to be obedient, then she can't. She's got to take care of this baby. Um, if, if she did plan, um, you know, it shows a perfect balance of faith and planning, right? God gives us a brain. He gives us reason, he, common sense, and he expects us to use it. And, you know, there's a revolutionary war, old statement from the Revolutionary War, back from the Revolutionary War days. It says, trust God, but keep your powder dry. It means, you know, trust God, but be prepared, I mean, you know, it's the same principle as, hey, we know Jesus is coming back one day. Um, there's a thought of, hey, we'll just go hide in our houses and wait for him to come back and not do anything. But God's word is clear. No. If we're going to be faithful, we've got to be busy with the Great Commission. We've got to be serving, faithful. We want to be found faithful. We trust God. Yes, he's going to come back. Yes, he's going to deliver us. But we've still got to prepare. We've got to do the work that he's called us to do. And, you know, there are a lot of people who, and I've been guilty of this in my life, sitting around, God, when are you going to act? When are you going to lead me to do something? When are you going to fulfill your plan? And God's sitting there saying, I've given you things that you should already be doing. You should be spending time in my word. You should be sharing the gospel. You should be involved in a fellowship, a family of faith. There's plenty of things you know to do, but you're not doing those things. I mean, you, you say you're trusting God, but you're not prepared for battle. You're not doing what's necessary. And we've all been guilty of that. And, and if that is, it is in fact the case, and even if not, if she didn't plan this whole thing, she's doing whatever's necessary to try to save her son's life. But you got to think that she wouldn't have just stuck him in a basket, that there was some thought behind it, right? 
I think she knew what she was doing. And I think she knew there was a good chance that this princess would save her son. And then, of course, it works out perfectly because God's in it. She finds him, his sister, standing nearby watching the whole thing and shows up just at the right time. Hey, I'll find a Hebrew to nurse this baby. I, I happen to know somebody. And, of course, it's Moses' mother. And so his own mother, in a, in a time where babies are being killed, sons are being thrown into the river and, and murdered, she gets to raise her son, and she gets to raise him in her faith. And that's huge. He's raised in a family of faith and taught about the one and only true God. There are no coincidences here. I mean, yeah, I'm using my imagination a little bit. Maybe she didn't plan it. Maybe she did. But there's one thing that's sure. There's no coincidence here. God's in control of this whole thing, and he's orchestrating all of these events. It's all happening according to God's plan. And now we see some pretty incredible irony. Pharaoh's daughter agrees to pay Moses' mother to nurse him. It's amazing how God works sometimes. Against all odds, Acts 7.22, Moses was educated in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and action. So she gets to raise him to the point to where he's, he's weaned. Um, he starts out in a family of faith, and then he is educated. When he's old enough, he's educated by the Egyptians. So not only does he get to spend time with his mother and his family, then he gets the best education of the day. And again, God's plan, this is a divine purpose here. God's in this. What's God doing? Well, he's preparing him for the day that Moses will go back to Egypt. He's got to have all the knowledge of how things work, right? You know, their, their government, all of these things. He's learning all of this. You know, there's a theory, and, and don't know for sure, that, that Moses was actually being raised because the line of secession went through the daughter, that Moses actually was being raised to take over, to be the next Pharaoh. And if that's true, if he, when he turned that down, he's turning down a lot, right? But, but nonetheless, we know he got the best education possible, and, and God's using this. He's preparing him for that day that he's going to use him to deliver his people. All, God's in this whole thing. And Moses wouldn't have known all of it at the time. I believe he did know some of it, but he, he still, we look back and see God's hand at work orchestrating all of this. And, and, you know, for us, you may think that you're an unlikely hero, and maybe you are. You may think that you're the last person that God could ever use, but don't discount God's plan and his power. If God has a plan for you, and he wants to use you for his glory, he can do whatever it takes to get you where you need to be and to equip you with whatever you need to do what he's called you to do. And we see that in Moses. I mean, God, God's hand is at work through this whole thing, so trust your life in God's hands and trust his plan for your life. It's only then, if, you, if you'll do that, it's only then that you will move away from self-doubt, from worry, from whatever is holding you back into a position like Abraham because of your faith where God can use you. Now, if you move away from God's plan, that's when you're going to find yourself in trouble, and that's what we see happen next in Moses' life. So he's born. His mother's able to nurse him. Um, he's able to spend time with his family. He moves into uh, Pharaoh's uh, castle or palace or whatever, and, and he's able to, to grow and learn and be educated uh, and all of the knowledge of the Egyptians. But then he gets older, and he makes a huge mistake. And this is where we learn that most times... God's plan does not equal man's plans. Moses is a Hebrew. He grows up 
as an Egyptian, all of the advantages, education, riches, wealth, all of this stuff. He becomes a man who's mighty in words and deeds, which is when you fast forward and he talks about he can't speak well, it's kind of interesting, but he was educated, well-educated. He, he, all of this, divine purpose in all of this, right? I mean, Moses' education, God's preparing him to lead this nation of Israel out of Egypt. You, you get the idea that he just kind of oozed charisma, but he had a problem. He had one, one, probably more than one, but one glaring shortcoming, pride. And we see that in his actions here. You know, a lot of people say that Moses didn't know God's plan for him. I think maybe he did. Um, I mean, either way, he, he sees the nation, his people being oppressed year after year after year, and it wears on him. And, and one day, he decides to take matters into his own hands. Exodus 2, verse 11. Years later, after Moses had grown up, he went out to his own people. He observed their forced labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Looking all around and seeing no one, he struck the Egyptian dead and hit him in the sand. So God's Savior just committed murder. The man that God had chosen to deliver his people just commits this horrific crime. So if you are here today or you are watching and you think God can't use you because of your past, think again. With all of your mistakes, with all of your shortcomings, now that's not an excuse to make mistakes. We could go that route, right? That's going to lead to destruction too. Moses had to pay some serious consequences for his actions, but God still has a plan. But the problem here is that Moses, his intentions were good. He's trying to save his own people. Maybe he even knew what God had, him, had planned for him to do and was trying to accomplish God's plan for his life, but he just got ahead of God. He was trying to take matters into his own hands. He was trying to accomplish God's will his way, not God's. And in his timing, not God's. And that's when you get into trouble. He thought that everybody, that he would cause a revolution, right? His people would see this and, and follow him. Acts 7.25 tells us that. He assumed his brothers would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Moses is trying to do a supernatural work in a natural way. It's still God's plan to deliver his people, just not then, not now. And that would be a supernatural work, as we'll see, but in this time, it wasn't the right time. It's one thing to do God's will. I mean, the motives are good, intentions are good, but it's a completely different thing to do God's will God's way. You know, there's been a lot of horrific crimes created in the name of God, right? People thought they were doing the right thing, and before they knew it, they ended up doing horrible things. There's been things that, that I've tried in my life that I thought, hey, this is, I know this is good. God wants this. But in the end, ultimately, it, it wasn't the right timing. I wasn't where I needed to be. I wasn't ready. And God still had to work on me. Or he needed to accomplish some other things. Moses' mistake here is that it's his initiative, not God's. And really, the, the, the biggest problem is that he's not in the center of God's will right now. He's trying to act on his own. And, and, you know, there's a great, great way to understand this, all right? I brought a level with me. Um, and what do we use this for? It's pretty easy to level things, right? You're working on something. You need it to be level, uh, wh whatever it is. And, and, and how do you tell if something's level? You got this little bubble. It's not level right now. There we go, right about there. The bubble's in the center, right? If it's this way, you, this one has three different ways, right? Same thing, though. The bubble has to be in the center in order for it to be level. Um, if it's off a little bit this way, 
bubble's going to be off center. If it's off a little bit this way, bubble's going to be off center. You got to get it in the center, right? Well, in our lives, how many times are we living this way? (laughs) Because of whatever, right? I mean, it could be decisions that we make, priorities in our lives, things that we spend our time on that maybe aren't the most, maybe good things, but maybe aren't the most important things. And we place too much importance on those things. It could be priority out of whack in, in, in my family, where I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing there. You know, I'm not, I'm not discipling my family the way that I should. It could be any number of things. It could simply be that, like Moses, my intentions are good, the actions are good. I'm just ahead of God. I'm not following God. I'm not listening to his voice, and I'm not following. So my, my life's out of balance. And, and how do you fix that? How do you get your life back into balance? Well, you've got to put Christ in the center of your life. He's got to be at the center. Because when he's in the center, it affects everything, right? Don't just prioritize your life, God first, and everything after. That's okay. God should be first, but he also needs to be at the center of your life. You need to make sure that we all need to make sure that we are in his word, that we are studying his word, that we are putting his word in us, that we are faithful uh, to worship, that we are faithful to serve, that we're doing all of the things that we're supposed to be doing, to disciple, to be discipled. And if we do that, Christ will be in the center of our lives. And then and only then will we be fulfilling his plan in his way and in his time. But Christ has to be the center. You see, Moses' problem was is his life was out of balance. I, I believe his intentions were good. Again, he's trying to you know, keep one of his, his fellow people from being hurt. He's trying to free, he's keeping his, trying to keep his people from being oppressed, but he just wasn't in the center of God's will. And, and, and because of that, he's going to suffer some pretty harsh consequences as a result. You and I can be so dedicated to the will of God, so driven by a false sense of purpose, that we may, just may, inadvertently take matters into our own hands and leave God completely out of the equation. And when we do that, we're in trouble. It has to be his will, his way. It has to be, if it's going to work the way he wants it to work. Moses thought he would start a revolution, but the people aren't ready. This isn't the first time we've seen that. I mean, right? I mean, we talked about Abraham. He did the same thing. God promised to bless him and make him a great nation. He becomes an old man. He still doesn't have a son. And he thinks, well, I better, I better uh, try something different. And, and he ends up shortcutting, trying to shortcut God's plan. And ends up fathering Ishmael through Hagar in Genesis 16. And that creates problems that we're still dealing with today, Right? Um, I mean, he tried to shortcut God's plan, and it didn't work out. Moses is trying to do the same thing, and it doesn't work out too well for him. People rejected Moses, and he has to run away to, to, to Midian. Verse 13 through 15, the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked one of, uh, the one in, in the wrong, why are you attacking your neighbor? Who made you a leader and judge over us? The man replied, are you planning to kill me as you did the Egyptians? See, he killed the guy, he hit him in the sand, he thought he'd gotten away with it. But evidently not. People found out. Then Moses became afraid and thought, what I did is certainly known. When Pharaoh heard about this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. So, you know, Moses, he, he thinks he's made, committed the perfect crime. But suddenly he realizes, oh, people know about this. And, and what's worse, Pharaoh knows about it. So Pharaoh begins to try to kill him. So he has no choice. He has to run away and he runs away. 
I read a story one time about a guy that got pulled over for going 112 miles an hour. When he got pulled over, do you know what he told the officer he was doing? He said he, was, he, was, he had a court appointment. He was going to pay a speeding ticket. <laughs> Which is something you should do, right? But maybe not that quickly. <laughs> so he was trying to, his motives were good, but he went about it the wrong way. I think Moses' motives were good. He just went about it the wrong way. And he made a huge mistake, and he paid a huge price for it. He has to flee. He has to run for his life, and he goes to Midian. Um, his people reject him. He goes to Midian, and, and he learns a very valuable lesson, and here it is. And I think we all need to learn this lesson. I try, I fail in my own strength. You know, if I'm trying on my own time, but if I trust, he succeeds. If I'm trying to do it on my own strength and my own power, I may have some success, but eventually I'm going to fall flat on my face. But if I wait on God, if I trust in him, I will see him accomplish his will through me. But God still has a plan. Look at verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had several daughters. They came to draw water and filled the troughs to, to water their father's flock. When some shepherds arrived and drove them away, uh, then some shepherds arrived and drove them away, but Moses came to their rescue and watered their flock. When they returned to their father, Ruel, he asked, why have you come back so quickly? They answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He then drew water for us and watered the flock. So where is he? He asked his daughters. Why then did you leave the man behind? Invite him to eat dinner. Moses agreed to stay with the man and gave his daughter support of Moses in marriage. She gave birth to a son whom he named Gershom, for he said, I have been a foreigner in a foreign land. So God's still showing mercy here. God's got a plan, and his plan is bigger than our mistakes. He's going to have to suffer some consequences, 40 years worth, as a matter of fact, but God's still, he's not done with Moses. So wherever you are today, whatever you've done, God's not finished with you. If you're alive, if you're breathing right now, hopefully you are, God's got a plan for you. He wants to use you some way, somehow. You've got to accept his son Jesus as Savior, the only way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. But if you will, God will use you. He's got a plan for your life. Moses, God still has a plan for his life. He's going to have to suffer some consequences, but he's still got a plan. He's now a stranger in a strange land, but God knows where he is, and he's taking care of him. He's even given him a family, much more than he deserves. And this is because, number four, at all times, God's plan is accompanied by his perfect knowledge. Even when we make mistakes and move outside of God's will, if we will turn back to him, he knew we were going to do that, and so he's got provisions ready. Yes, consequences, but there's forgiveness, and there's grace, and there's mercy that God wants to extend, that he wants to show. It was true for Moses, and it's true for the nation of Israel. Look at verse 23 of chapter 2. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out, and their cry for help ascended to God because of difficult, the difficult labor. So God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Did they just wake him up? No, God knew that they, he'd heard their groaning. It was the right time. That's what that means. Now is the right time. God saw the Israelites. He took notice. This is simply describing God in human terms so we can understand. Okay? God, it was, it was his time. It was the right time. The people of Israel, God's chosen people, cried out to God. I'm sure there were times, many times, where they thought, God must not be there because we've been crying for 400 years and he's not listening. 
He's not doing anything. I'm sure there were many times where they were ready to give up. God is not paying attention. But God was paying attention. Maybe they thought, hey, maybe he's too busy, right? He doesn't have time to get to us. Maybe they think he's there, but he just doesn't have time for us. He's just not a personal God. He doesn't want to be involved. He doesn't want to intervene. I mean, I'm sure there were many times. But God did care, and he did know, because God knows everything, and God always keeps his promises. He just does it in his time, and his time isn't always our time. God hears their cries. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, and God's work is now about to be done his way. And we're going to see how that unfolds. You know, Friday was September the 11th, 19 years since that horrible, horrible day in 2001. I remember, like you, if you were alive then, exactly where I was, exactly what I was doing. I was on staff at Westwood. I, I was, uh, my hours there, I was the recreation guy, so I was there late at night, and I'd go in, you know, late morning, around noon, somewhere around there, and I'd stay till late at night, and so I wasn't even really going yet that morning. Uh, Mandy and I were dating, and she calls me, um, I believe right about the time the second plane uh, hit the tower. I wasn't even tuned into the world yet, and she calls me, and immediately, like every one of you, when you first, your attention was drawn to it, that's all I could focus on. I turned on the TV, was watching it, went to the church later, and we were all just kind of standing around, you know, just wandering around, either watching what was going on, or or talking about it, or whatever. I remember at one point, the, I think the UPS guy came in, and he just stayed there for about 30 minutes, because nobody was in a hurry. Everybody was just focused on that, right? The world had been turned upside down. And I remember thinking at some point in the days following that, you know, when we found out how horrific it really was, of course, the towers collapsed, and, and all the people that were inside that were trapped, and I, and I thought about those folks inside those buildings crying out to God, and I remember thinking, God, where are you? Well, did you not hear them screaming for you? I mean, I'll be honest with you. I, I struggled with that to begin with. God, how could you let that happen? And then a thought occurred to me at some point in the days that followed that was true then, that's true now, and that was true in the day of Moses when God's people were crying out to him. God is very much there. He is still very much on his throne. He has a plan. He has a purpose. And what happens on earth doesn't always make sense to me, but God's bigger than what I'm able to comprehend. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He's there, and he's listening. Nothing happens beyond his knowledge. Now, I can't explain why September the 11th happened. I can't explain. I can, t- I can tell you some things that's happened as a result, some things we've learned, hopefully, <laughs> Some things I've learned personally, spiritually, but I can't explain why all tragedy happens. I can't explain why the nation of Israel was in captivity as long as they were without God intervening. But I do know that when the time was right, when it was God's time, he intervened in a miraculous way. So I don't know what you're going through today. I know we've all been through kind of a tough time over the past few months, haven't we? A lot of things going on, a lot of difficult circumstances, people getting sick, a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. And there have been times in this I've prayed, Lord, what are you doing? What's your plan here? You've got to have a plan. I don't always understand, but I do believe with all of my heart, and I've seen it in Scripture, I've seen it in my life, that God does hear me. He does have a plan, and he will intervene at the right time. Matter of fact, one day he's going to intervene in a pretty big way. He's going to come through the clouds, and every, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. We will all know who he is. And we will all worship him. I hope that you worship him by choice and not by force. 
God's ways don't always make sense. But Hudson Taylor said this, it doesn't doesn't matter how great the pressure is, and we've all experienced pressure, especially lately. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or presses you closer to God. So how, how are you handling the pressure these days? Is it, is it forcing you away from God? Are you doubting God? Are you questioning Him? Or is it pushing you closer to Him? Are you running to Him, crawling into His lap and letting Him comfort you? But also understanding that He is sovereign and we can't always understand His ways. Respecting Him and understanding that He's a big God with a big plan. We have a choice to make. We can either have faith, we can trust in God, even when He doesn't make sense, even when He doesn't act in our time, or... We can wait on him, or we can choose to do it our way, get ahead of God, and suffer some pretty bad consequences. But I want to finish with Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. Paul says this, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Make no mistake. This is a difficult world that we live in. There's pain, there's suffering. September 11th reminds us of that. There's heartache. There's brokenness. But that's not because of who God is. That's the result of sin that exists in our world. God is a loving God, but he's also a holy God. And he deserves our worship and our praise and our honor. And God has a plan that goes beyond temporary pain and temporary discomfort. And God's plan involves your eternal security, not your temporary comfort. I know pain hurts, and I know it's difficult, and I know unanswered questions linger, and it's always hard to deal with that. And it's hard to answer questions about why people suffer and when. But I also know that God is more concerned with your soul than he is with your temporary comfort. He sent his son. You talk about pain and suffering. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross in the most horrific death ever imaginable so that you could be forgiven of your sins. And that regardless of what life brings, no matter how difficult it gets, you can look beyond that to eternity knowing that you are secure, safe in his hands. If you're going to experience God's plan for your life, and we're going to see how God's plan for Moses unfolds in in incredible ways. If you're going to experience God's plan for your life, it begins, it has to begin with you accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can't experience God's plan outside of that. He himself said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So if you want to know God, if you want to know his plan, you've got to know his son. And you have the opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray in just a few moments. You can simply cry out to God and say, Lord, I don't know all there is to know, but I know I've sinned and I know I need forgiveness. I know you died for my sins and invite him into your life to save you. Maybe you're having trouble waiting on God. Maybe it's that you know God's got a plan for you. You may even know what it is, but it's not time yet and you're having trouble understanding God's timing. Or you're having trouble understanding why bad things happen to good people or or any other question that you have. We're going to spend a few moments in prayer, and I encourage you just to talk to God about it, and then I'm going to share with you how to contact me or one of our pastors so that we can talk to you about it as well. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that, that, I thank you that you are a big God that can't be understood completely. 
There's so much about you that we can know. You reveal yourself to us in many ways. You're a personal God, but you are also holy and separate. And your mind, your ways are not our ways. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. You're, you are so much more perfect and so far beyond our ability to comprehend. We have to be able to rest in the knowledge that we can't always understand your ways. We have to get to a point to where we can understand that because we live in a fallen world with fallen individuals, with evil that is real, that it exists, that, that, that is out to destroy what you are doing, that is in opposition to you, because of all of that, there's going to be suffering and there's going to be pain in our world. And sometimes it will seem senseless. Sometimes we, we, we won't ever have the answers that we want in terms of why it's happened. And it's real and it hurts and it's difficult. But Lord, we have to understand, we have to believe that's because of sin. And your plans are above and beyond that. You allow things to happen for a reason. You use them for your kingdom. You can use even bad things, awful things for your glory. But you have made it clear that in this world, we will have suffering. We will. There's no question. But you've also made it clear that you have overcome this world. And God, we can know and we can rest in the knowledge that while we may have temporary pain and it may be horrible, we can have eternal security and comfort. In a place where there is no death, there are no 9-11 attacks. There are no pandemics. There is no suffering. There are no difficulties. There are no mistakes. There are no lost loved ones. There is no death. There is only you and all of your glory and your perfection and our worship of you for all of eternity. And if we can trust in you, if we will accept salvation through you and you alone, through your son, Jesus Christ, we can have a place there. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are secure for all of eternity. That is your plan for us. It's not about the here and now. It's about eternity. Lord, thank you for loving us enough to provide a way for us to be forgiven of our sins. Lord, I pray for anyone right now who's here or out there that's struggling with their faith, struggling with trust in you, that you would just reveal yourself to them right now in this moment in a way that's undeniable, that is powerful. Draw them to yourself. Give them the ability to trust. Give us all the ability to trust in you, to have faith. Thank you, Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.